I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's the very end of July just before the Celtic festival of Lunasa. It can be an unpredictable time for weather, and although much of the world is experiencing extreme heat, here in England we've seen heavy rains which reflect the folk saying about this changeable time. Lammas floods with crops off havoc play. I'm at Sheffield Park, a stunning local garden designed by Capability Brown and once owned by the Arctic explorer Nellie Soames. It's famous in autumn for its incredible display of trees, but today I'm by one of the lakes, watching a pair of swans glide on the water. You can hear the sound of the waterfall in the background and the voices of children playing as the school summer holidays have just started. In folklore, swans are associated with the spirit world, able to fly between the earthly and supernatural realms. They're a symbol for transformation too, the fairy tale, The Ugly Duckling, is all about blossoming into beauty despite the expectations of others, and there are countless tales of humans cursed to be transformed into swans. I always think of hidden depths when I look at swans. They're so serene on the surface of the water, but beneath, their feet are furiously paddling. One of the most beautiful connections swans have is as a symbol of faithful love and constancy. They form monogamous pairs and often even mate for life. Their song is also the stuff of legend. A beautiful madrigal by Orlando Gibbons captures the tradition that the swan only sings once as it is at the point of death. Today's story has a swan flying over its heart, but it's really a tale of perpetual love despite time and circumstance. So swim your way through the lily pads to the edge of the lake and shake off your swan form then gather close around the fire and listen in. Welcome to the Three Ravens podcast. There were three ravens sat on a tree Down a down, hey down a down They were as black as they might be With a down One 
said to his mate, Where shall we our breakfast take? With a down, dairy, 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 down, down. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Three Ravens podcast. I'm Eleanor Conlon and I'm sprinkling drops of Worcestershire sauce on a pickled <laughs> egg, which I'm about to serve up to my co-host Martin Vaux. Oh, hi everyone. I'm not sure about the pickled egg though. <laughs> we have really been enjoying being back and hearing from all of you and connecting on social media, not least about our bonus mini episodes, which are coming out on Thursdays. And blow me down with a feather. <laughs> Last week, the podcast passed through a major milestone. Yep. 30,000 downloads. Absolutely bonkers. 30,000. Imagine it. And thank you so much to everyone on social media who engaged in the frenzy of posts and likes and lovely messages following that news. Also last week, we had our first Dying Arts episode all about traditional crafts. And coming up this week, we have something very wicked indeed. (laughs) Martin, can you tell us a bit more? Yes. In the first episode of our Something Wicked series, which is kind of folkloric and historical true crime, basically, we'll be discussing the genuinely gruesome and really horrid history of the werewolf of Bedburg. Excellent. I'll start practising my howling. (laughs) Not that I need much more practice. (laughs) I'll begin by howling my thanks to our newest supporters on Patreon. Yes. Thank you so very much to our new patrons, Lady Mary, Alexandra, Millie and Patricia. All hail Lady Mary, King of Patreon. All hail Alexandra, King of Patreon. All hail Millie, King of Patreon. All hail Patricia, King of Patreon. Your support really means the world to us and we really hope you enjoy the new Three Ravens newsletter, which is coming out, as always, on the first of the month. That's tomorrow. And if you'd like some bonus content, including exclusive episodes, all our episodes advert-free and all sorts of other Patreon-exclusive goodies, please consider joining our flock of Patreon Ravens for $3 a month or $6 a month at patreon.com forward slash 3ravenspodcast. So, Eleanor, we're releasing this episode on the very last day of July... It's Lunasa Eve, I guess. I guess. But is there anything to celebrate today? Like, should I have been baking a special 31st of July cake of some kind? It will actually be the St. Neot's Day cake. For today, it is St. Neot's Day. And you may have to bake it in the shape of a fish, as (laughs) the saint is often invoked by fishermen. Well, I knew I'd find a use for that haddock-shaped cake tin eventually. (laughs) Uh, So tell me about St. Neot. Never heard of him. Neot was a Saxon monk who uh-huh. really would have rather been a hermit oh, okay. and moved from Glastonbury to Cornwall to do just that. And he probably would have been quite happy doing that forever if he hadn't made an unfortunate visit to the Pope. Oh, this happens so often. You make an unfortunate visit to the Pope and then... Ruins the entire course of your life. Well, the Pope told Neot he needed to stop being a hermit and found a monastery instead to spread the word of God. (laughs) Well, that's quite an imposition from the Pope. But then I guess impositions, inquisitions, there's a close correlation. (laughs) Yes, there's definitely a crossover there. (laughs) But however grudging about doing it he might have been, Neot managed to perform loads of miracles including i love this one yeah. persuading the local crows not to eat the crops while the sunday church service was going on so only for that specific time i mean 
How did that go? Well, basically, everyone in the village could chase the crows off their crops during the week. Oh, I see. But while they were at church, the crows had a kind of all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> <laughs> so Neat built this kind of stone-walled crow church Ooh. and told all the crows they had to fly into it for the duration of the service. And they actually listened. No. They actually did. The crows all went to church? Well, their own sort of crow church. But the point was they kept their beaks well away from the wheat. <laughs> That's so good. There's also another the really delightful one about Neat having one of his shoes stolen by a fox while he was bathing. Again, an everyday occurrence for me, I have to say. (laughs) But uh, to spare him embarrassment for having only one shoe, an angel made the fox fall into a deep sleep so Neat could get his shoe back. Oh, sleepy foxes. Yes. (laughs) Because of angels. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? Could could it be any cuter? I, I love the idea that he'd be so embarrassed by having only one shoe that an angel had to intervene. Yeah, <laughs> like, he couldn't just put on his spares. No, no, no. no. Is that the worst thing that could happen? Divide oh, old one shoe neared. <laughs> but the, the best one in my view is one that I can actually identify quite strongly with uh-huh. not being very tall myself. Oh, I see. Okay. So apparently St. Neat was really rather short yeah. and couldn't reach the church door lock to let a visitor oh, in. Oh, how adorable. But the lock was miraculously lowered to his level <laughs> so that he could open it. <laughs> Isn't that great? God, he had a lot of intervention, didn't he, this guy? Yeah, he did. They must have really liked him yeah, upstairs. Yeah, right. <laughs> and well, he gives his name to a village in Cornwall and also to another one in Huntingdonshire because his bones were actually stolen from Cornwall and taken to Ainsbury. <laughs> what bizarre and interesting life. Yeah. Well, happy Saints Day to St Neart. May your crops be free of crows and your footwear untroubled by foxes. <laughs> <laughs> but still, tomorrow is a big one, isn't it? It certainly is. As you mentioned, it's the festival of Lunasa or Lamas tomorrow, yeah. the 1st of August. The festival's dedicated to Lu, the Celtic god of creativity and also storms, yes. and celebrates the beginning of the harvest season. It's traditional to feast, of course, and a good way to mark the day is to bake bread in the shape of the god and ritually sacrifice and eat it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the name Lamas might come from loaf mass. Yes, that's the, right. The baking yeah. of that ritual bread. And in the Christian tradition, loaves baked with flour from newly harvested corn would be brought to church to be blessed yes. by the priest. Well, that's it. The loaves, I believe, are supposed to be baked with the grain from the first harvest. Yeah, that's right. And then the blessing sort of means you'll have a good harvest yeah. after that. But I was reading they would also bring ploughs and other tools of farming to have them blessed blessed as well. Well, Yeah, so they'd, they'd kind of be ritually ready for the season. Yeah, good idea. Also, Lammas Eve is Shakespeare's Juliet's birthday. So happy birthday to one of fictional romance's most famous heroines. Yes, happy birthday, Juliet. Hopefully she's now of age, Romeo. Keep your hands off her, you cad. (laughs) Um, I should also mention, if you're one of our Patreon subscribers, we have a special Lunasa-themed tarot spread in the newsletter this month, which, as mentioned, is coming out tomorrow. It's the Cornucopia spread. And we're going to be trying it out ourselves and posting the results on social media. So do let us know how you get on if you give it a try now it's time to stop the county criers scoffing bread and get them to ring us into today's historic county worcestershire come on no excuses for a carb coma worcestershire is located in the west of england 
It's bordered by Warwickshire to the east, Gloucestershire to the south, Herefordshire to the west and Shropshire, Staffordshire and the West Midlands to the north. Well, lots of northern neighbours. Yes. The River Severn and the River Avon both flow through Worcestershire and it also touches the Malvern Hills and the Cotswolds. Cool. Martin, do you have any associations with Worcestershire? Um, well... Not really, but I don't think I'm going to be the only one who'll be thinking of that delicious condiment, Worcestershire sauce. Yes. <laughs> Although Worcestershire has actually been a hotbed of specialist industries over the years, including gloves, carpets, needles and salt, oh, feel its now. most famous export has got to be the delicious Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, it's great. Although fermented fish sauces have been in culinary vogue since Roman times, the famous sauce as we know it wasn't created until the 1830s, when it was patented by John Lee and William Perrins, a pair of local pharmacists. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got to confess, I didn't even know it was made of fish. Nor did I until (laughs) I did this research. I actually thought it was suitable for vegetarians. (laughs) How wrong I am. No, not at (laughs) all. And it's such a staple today, isn't it, of a kitchen cupboard? But apparently, when it was first mixed, it was so strong that they thought it was disgusting and abandoned it in the cellar. (laughs) But a few years later, they were having a bit of a tidy up and discovered this barrel. And they tried it again and found that it was really nice because it had been fermenting for so long. And uh, by 1830, it was on sale to the public. Oh, that's so interesting. Because that's like cornflakes. They were invented because some people let their corn spoil, like it had got wet, and so they let it spoil. And then later on thought, why don't we just try rolling it out and baking it and seeing if we can still sell it? And oh, then wow. they invented cornflakes. I never knew that. Yeah, and yeah. simply adding quite a lot of sugar. Well, I don't think there's actually that much sugar in cornflakes. I think the sweetness comes from the corn. Anyway, we're getting oh, distracted. I'm thinking of crunching up cornflakes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, they're great. Still, tell me about Worcestershire before the arrival of this magnificent sauce. It was part of the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Wicca originally before being conquered and absorbed into Mercia Uh, by guess who? Pender. God, it comes up so much. Considering how little the average person knows about Pender of Mercia, it seems like our podcast has been like raising his profile enormously. Definitely. (laughs) I mean, I think if you're going to talk about Saxon kingdoms... Yeah. Pender had his finger in a lot of pies with battle accents. He did, and a lot of treasure chests as well. (laughs) Yes, very much so. (laughs) So it first became a county around 927 when the Kingdom of England was beginning to form. But interestingly, it remained semi-independent after the Norman Conquest. Oh, that's quite interesting and peculiar. Mm. So how how did that work? Well, the crown just had no authority over Worcestershire (laughs) because it, it was held by bishops. So the Bishop of Worcester was kind of the de facto ruler ah. until William the Conqueror put one of his pals in as the sheriff yeah. and they started to have all kinds of tussles over who the land actually belonged to. Who the conks? Yeah, well, the bishop there, Wolfstan, he's quite a cool character. Yeah. He he was actually the last Anglo-Saxon bishop in England Ooh. and the one who managed to hang on to the diocese for the longest time. Well, well done, Wolfstan. <laughs> and he, he managed a few miracles as well, so he got canonised. Well, yeah. St. Wolfstan. <laughs> Good work, Wolfstan. Yes. Now, you mentioned salt being a big thing a moment ago. 
I'm recalling an earlier episode when we talked about the saint who went to Worcestershire to bless the salt. Yeah, pits. yeah, that's right, Saint Richard. Yeah. We saw his statue, didn't that's we? That's right, looking, in <laughs> looking like a Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was Droitwich, uh, uh-huh. which was a Roman settlement and one of the most important places in the county for ages due to its salt. Okay. It's even called Salonai in Latin, which means place with salt. Salt and sauce. Worcestershire is got to be a kind of county of making things taste better. Is yeah, that, is that, is that involved is. in its coat and of arms? Its coat of arms also follows the culinary theme. Really? Um, it doesn't have sauce on it, but oh, okay. it shows a pear tree with black pears, Ooh. which references the Worcester black pear variety. Oh, and they are, if you look them up, they're actually a really dark colour. So one for our gothic fruit bowl, for sure. Yeah, we need to start Very aesthetic them. pears. That sounds so cool. I think they're quite rare, but they do, you can still grow them. Oh. Maybe we can get a tree and grow oh, black wouldn't pears. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, that would be <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> well, apparently the pears got added to the coat of arms of the county after a visit from Elizabeth I in 1575. Ooh. Now, I'm not sure how accurate this is, but yeah. this is the legend. And she saw a pear tree which had been planted to honour her visit and she liked it so much she suggested that they included the symbol on the arms. Sounds a bit... Fruity to me. By the way, it's a nice... St- oh, no. <laughs> Skipping swiftly over that pun. <laughs> it's a nice story, and pears have definitely been important in the county's history. Apparently, the Worcestershire archers rallied under the pear trees before attending the Battle of Agincourt. Cool. And a pear blossom featured on the badge of the Worcestershire Yeomanry. Well, Eleanor, that's a great pair of facts. Oh, stop it. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> the county town is Worcester, yeah. of course, and I found several different mottos. Ooh, hit me. We have Floreat Semper Fidelis Civitas, the faithful city may ever flourish. Uh-huh. Civitas in Bello et Parche Fideli, uh-huh. in War and Peace, the faithful city. Ooh. And Semper Fidelis Mutare Sperno, ever faithful, I scorn to change. Which one do you see your favourite? Uh, it's definitely the last one. Ever faithful, I scorn to change. That's amazing. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah very really powerful. <laughs> it actually, Worcestershire has quite a turbulent past, Ooh, it? despite its delicious taste. <laughs> In the Middle Ages, the bishops and Simon de Montfort's supporters during the Second Barons' War violently suppressed the Jewish community, who were eventually completely expelled from Worcestershire. Am I right in thinking that actually that led to the Jewish population being expelled from England as a whole? Yes, that's right. Although Worcester had been one of the towns in England with an archer, yeah. which is an official chest containing all the official and financial records pertaining to Jewish people... And there actually wasn't a formal re-establishment of Worcestershire's Jewish community until as late as 1941. Whoa, that's absolutely mad. It's so wild, centuries isn't it? and centuries of no Jewish people in Worcester. Yeah. Or at least no official, no community, official community. I guess. Exactly. I mean, let's be fair, the 13th century was a pretty dark time for <laughs> anti-Semitism and just kind of multiculturalism in general in England. Yeah, not the most welcoming no. <laughs> in the 13th century. No, no. Now, my watch tells me it's been at least five days since I talked about <laughs> Oliver Cromwell. Okay. So is it okay if I bring him in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I do feel like Oliver Cromwell is the sort of third host of this podcast. Maybe, maybe him or <laughs> Henry VIII. <laughs> I'm not sure Oliver Cromwell would be terribly charismatic. <laughs> no. 
And Henry VIII, well, he, he wouldn't be a very sharing host, would he? No, he'd also take up the entire room we record this in because he was so pudgy. Just imagine Oliver Cromwell rocking up, I'm going to record this warts and all. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Anyway, um, his relationship with Worcestershire was great. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, in 1642, the Battle of Powick Bridge was the first major engagement of the Civil oh, War. Really? And the Battle of Worcester in 1651 basically ended the Third Civil War with a massive defeat of the Royalists under Charles II. Oh, we had a laugh, though, didn't he, old, old Charlie number two? Yes, he did have the last laugh yeah. there. I was reading that Worcestershire, like Dorset, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, yes. also had bands of club men who opposed the war being fought around them and just wanted it to go away. You can't blame them, really. I've been thinking a lot about those club men. Um, so if we're going to go to Oliver Cromwell victory tour of England kind of thing, uh, <laughs> what else are we going to see in Worcestershire? Is there more stuff in his honour? Well, there are lots of exciting places. And this little tidbit yeah. has folkloric... Uh, context as well as Cromwellian context. Ooh, no, that's, so, like, that's like oil and water. He wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> no, not at all. But it's the legend of the Holy Well of Henwick, uh -huh. which is interesting for a few reasons. Not only was it a magic spring with curative properties, especially for maladies of the eyes, okay. but in the medieval period, the water was actually piped to the cathedral and to the monk's private bath. Ooh, they had the magic monks baths. were bathing in magic eye-curing water. Ooh. But yeah. Oliver and friends pulled up the lead pipes oh. that the the Holy Well had been pumped through at, during the Civil War and melted them down for bullets. Now, this makes me think, do you reckon if you got shot with one of those bullets, you might die, but with 20-20 vision? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine eye problems would be the least of your worries, yeah. but still, worth an experiment. Well, no, not an experiment. Oh, <laughs> get the don't try this at home slogan out. Yeah, yeah, quite right. <laughs> But following on from the Holy Well of Henwick, we have a whole host of other H places. Go on then. Hanbury Hall, uh -huh. Harterbury Castle, Ooh. Harvington Hall. I, I kind of want to say these like Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady, you know, <laughs> in Hanbury, Hartlebury and Harvington, hurricanes hardly ever happen. But <laughs> no comment about the hurricanes. But in, in Harvington Hall, there's certainly not much chance of hurricanes, but it is apparently very haunted. Oh, well, we love a spook. What have you got? The house itself has what is possibly the best collection of priest holes in a stately home, Ooh. which are purported to have a really palpable energy. And just to be clear, if you're unsure about what a priest hole is in <laughs> England, there was an extended period of time, basically during the tension between Catholics and Protestants in the late Tudor age, where Catholics would hide priests in the walls of their houses. Mm. They'd build secret rooms and so on. And so, yeah, that's what a priest Little hole is. Little nooks and so crannies. A place where you shove a Jesuit when, when you don't want it to be found. <laughs> when the authorities are coming around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're quite spooky places. And mm. I think, you know, some, some priests did actually die in them, didn't they? Yeah. Because they had to stay in hiding for so long they were forgotten about. Well, that's it. Soldiers would come into the house and knock on all the walls and so on and so forth trying to find them. And sometimes they'd stay for hours, if not days. Mm. And if they were like, under seating, for example, so like window boxes, whereas that was like a classic place to put a priest hole, then yeah, you could suffocate because yeah, it's just bad, not enough oxygen, uh, not enough oxygen. In, in a window box. Yeah. What a way to go. I know, right? Very scary. Yeah. But uh, the grounds are also haunted as well as the, uh, the interior of the Ooh. house by the ghost of a local witch called Mistress Hicks 
who was hanged at the crossroads close by in the hope that the cross shape of the road would contain her evil spirit. Yeah, like a classic of mm-hmm. that's where you dispose of a witch body is at a crossroads. But okay. uh, it didn't work because <laughs> her spirit is frequently spotted roaming the grounds of Harvington Hall. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You can't keep a good witch down. You can't. And there are plenty of witch tales in Worcestershire to choose from. Ooh, that sounds promising. Go on, tell me, tell me. We have got the Witch of Pebworth, who lived in the 1800s and had the power to cure ailments. But she's remembered in the village for having furniture which travelled about from room to room in her house. Oh, like wheelie chairs. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, a bit like really chairs, but I think uh, more sort of tables rearranging themselves. Oh, Wouldn't that be useful? When you yeah. wanted to have a spring clean, you wouldn't have to move anything. You'd just say, table, move yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could get behind or it. Or you forgot your cup of tea in the other room. Oh. You could just say, table, could you bring it just, in before just it gets water, cold? Just water the tea in for me. <laughs> well, it's claimed a pot of broth was witnessed taking itself off the fire, going into another room and emptying itself into a bowl for her. <laughs> so it sounds really handy. Yes, <laughs> Witch of set of skills. I wish I had that. Witch of Pebworth, if you're still available and sort of haunting somewhere, then yeah, pop on by. I'd like to know how. <laughs> the village of Honeybourne had two rival witches. Ooh. There was a white witch who cured warts and other minor medical inconveniences yeah. with this simple charm. Out fire, out frost, in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> The rhyme wasn't brilliant, but the charm was apparently super effective. So, was she a one-trick witch? It was just that one charm. <laughs> that's fantastic. And uh, the other witch wasn't much better. Uh-huh. Her thing was to turn herself into a rabbit and go into the fields at night to suck the cows dry of milk. <laughs> what? A rabbit suckling yeah. from cows? Yeah, I and mean, then one wonders sort of how it reached. Perhaps <laughs> a rabbit carrying a small box to stand on to reach the udders. Well, maybe she asked the witch of Pebworth to send her over some steps. Yes, they could have walked over the fields, didn't they? But apparently she was stopped in her rabbit fun by a farmer who took a pot shot at her. And of course she turned back into a woman and had to go to bed with a bullet in her leg. Uh, I'm not sure the other witch's little charm would necessarily work on a shotgun wound. Yes, uh, the power of Father, Son and Holy Ghost might, yeah. uh, might not quite yeah, solve on, that short. one. Yeah. I actually think it's kind of a great idea for a story, isn't it? A pair of uh, confidence trickster witches who yeah. are friends and one goes around causing trouble and cursing people and the other sells charms against it and the pair of them just sort of laugh about it together. What, bonus story for Patreon perhaps? Maybe. It could be fun, <laughs> couldn't it? <laughs> now Worcestershire is also most most definitely fairy country. Excellent. There are plenty of tales of the fair folk appearing and interfering, especially around Osbury Rock near the River Team. The fairies have a cave there and apparently also a thriving village community. What? A village of fairies? Yeah, there's a story about a ploughman who was working near the area when he heard a sad crying. Yeah. And the source of the crying was a very upset fairy who had lost his pickaxe. And so the ploughman helped the fairy to find it and the fairy rewarded him by sending him over to the far corner of the field where he found a nice dinner of bread and cheese and cider as a thank you. Oh, Isn't that lovely? Kind. Lovely work. And there are other reports about fairies appearing to people working in the area and asking to borrow hammers and nails and things. Um, And one man helped a fairy fix his broken chair. (laughs) And to reward him, the fairy did him a dance and then uh, took him down to his cave for biscuits and wine. This is so interesting to me because very often, like in Somerset, just a little ways down the road, 
fairies are seen as like sinister and dangerous and something you really want to stay away from. These ones are just like really kind and industrious, yeah. if a little bit forgetful. Just trying to build things and fix things and just want to borrow some tools. Yeah, it's very industrious of them. But you, you think they'd maybe use magic to do some building or finding their pickaxes or whatever. You would, wouldn't you? Um, I also like the, the quite simple rewards. It's not like three wishes or yeah. the power to cure ill ailments. It's just some biscuits and some cider. Yes. Thank <laughs> really you, Brian. Nice. I've made you a sandwich. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's also known, though, um, that the fairies like to kind of pay it forward. Oh, yeah. Because if you break one of your tools, you can leave it at the fairies' cave in Osbury Rock for a little while, and the fairies will mend it for you. Oh, that's so nice. What a lovely, lovely thing. Yeah. The, the Osbury Rock fairies are very helpful, but not all of the Worcestershire fairies are. Oh, OK. So right. there are a few um, slightly more cheeky ones yeah. I suppose you could say mm. there's a story which is actually a bit similar to your ethereal builder's pig um, yes there's more and more of them we keep finding more yeah, of these no ghost pigs, pigs this time oh, this okay. is about the building of the church of Inkbarrow uh -huh. apparently the fairies took offence at the place the builders had chosen because it was a place they liked to spend time yeah, sure. and they tried to obstruct the building by moving all the materials but the builders ignored them and yeah. did manage to build the church in the place they wanted to but the fairies still just communicated their displeasure by singing around the area neither sleep neither lie for inkborough's ting tang hangs so high <laughs> ting tang it's um, a word for bell tower. I see. I believe. Okay. And that's my guess. Sounds suspect. But, <laughs> all right, fairies. Well, that sounds nice and mischievous. So if you try and go to church at Inkbarrow, you basically... You might be able to hear this... Plagued by fairy noises. Sad little singing about oh. the Ting Tang. <laughs> oh, it's nice to be hearing stories about fairies. It feels like it's been a little while. We've had quite a lot of ghosts lately, obliging tool-fixing fairies. It makes a nice change. Oh, we absolutely have ghosts oh, too. Oh, okay. I should have guessed. Um, all right then, Eleanor. Haunt me. Charlton House near Evesham yeah. used to be haunted by the ghost of Sir John Goodear, mm. who was strangled by his brother. But don't worry. Yeah. He was exorcised by no fewer than 12 priests working in tandem. Wow. Who eventually managed to trap the ghost in a barrel of wine and brick it up in the cellar. <laughs> oh, I've now got a vision of somebody <laughs> having a dinner party kind of thinking they're opening the good stuff and then boom out comes John Goodyear <laughs> <laughs> yeah very hungover and very angry yeah I would not like to meet that ghost yeah, no. nor would I like to meet one of the ghosts which supposedly appears in Worcester Cathedral oh, yeah. which is a terrifying spectral bear Whoa. which rears up on its hind legs oh, I mean I really like bears but I don't know, a ghost bear might be a bit too much even for my tastes. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, it, it's fun to speculate on the origin of the ghost bear. I'm yeah. guessing that before the cathedral was built, there must have been a bear pit or something yeah. there. Or there's every chance that it was like a performing bear, like a circus bear or something like that. Like, again, to bring it back to Lord Byron, he famously at university was told he couldn't have a dog or a cat in his halls. So he went to London, bought himself a bear. Well, taking, taking the rules uni. very yeah, literally. Exactly. You told me I couldn't have a cat or a dog. So well, I've brought this bear. I have a bear now. <laughs> <laughs> Stayed with the bear for like 20 years. Sensational. Yeah. That's the kind of bending of the rules I can definitely get behind. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want something really creepy, uh, much creepier than giant spectral bears, yeah. then you could visit the network of tunnels below the Kingsford Country Park. Ooh. 
These were a bunker in World War Two mm. and a nuclear bunker during the Cold War. Mm. But apparently there's an incredible amount of paranormal activity down there. Don't like the idea. When the site was being decommissioned, there were reports of satanic rituals being carried out down there, which unleashed a dark force oh, in the God. tunnels, which which is still hanging out there today. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's now a museum and open to the public. What? So if you're minded, you can experience the dark force for yourself. Oh. Imagine the TripAdvisor reviews. Three stars for museum, five stars for dark demonic force. (laughs) (laughs) Five stars or no star? I'm not sure. I mean, five stars for its existence, possibly no stars for its effect. Yeah, possibly. Although, you know, presumably if it's that demonic, you're not going to have time to make a TripAdvisor review. (laughs) (laughs) His last act was to review the demonic force that killed him on TripAdvisor. (laughs) If um, tunnels aren't really your thing and you'd prefer to get into the great outdoors, you could visit Raggedstone Hill hill instead it's in the malvern hills and (laughs) it's not great because it's said to cast misfortune on anybody who has the shadow of its two peaks fall on them oh wow okay so you've got to be really careful about what time of day you go yeah i mean i I would just avoid it because lots of famous unfortunate people have apparently walked in its shadow including richard the third Anne boleyn and cardinal wolsey and none of them had great endings no no none of them would be uh conclusions i recommend for for another um (laughs) why are these mountains so malevolent and you know linked with misfortune that's really strange well ragstone hill was cursed by a monk who broke his vow of chastity so was uh, sneaking off to see a lady friend and um, the abbot condemned him to crawl up the rough side of raggedstone hill every single day as a kind of punishment sisyphus or yeah and um one day this monk got so fed up with it as as well you might uh, that he cursed anyone who walked in the peak's shadow then he dropped dead just, just to really show them what for. <laughs> nice drama. Yeah, OK. Well, that doesn't sound vindictive at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, maybe not one for the to-do list, or at least not on a sunny day. Yeah, OK. <laughs> a rather nicer thing to visit, which really, I think, helps conjure up Worcestershire's historic past, is the lovely Museum of Historic Buildings in Avoncroft. Oh, yeah. It's an open-air museum with lots of rescued and reconstructed buildings of loads of different types. And also... I find this really charming, has the largest collection of telephone kiosks in the UK. Oh, that's lovely. So, dating from the earliest to the latest. Oh, that's very cute. Sounds a little bit like the Wealdon Downland Museum. Yeah, that's that's it. So, old buildings have been rescued and gently rebuilt. So, they've got churches, shops, schools. It's really, it looks really lovely. lovely. And, of course, the telephone kiosks. (laughs) The icing on the cake. (laughs) All right, final couple of fun facts before it's time for today's story. Hit me, hit me. Worcestershire, it's claimed, was the inspiration for Tolkien's The Shire, where the hobbits live, uh, which is pretty yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Um, yep. So very picturesque. No denying that. I, I love how we've done all this research. Every county kind of wants to claim a little bit of Tolkien, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think Middle Earth and England yeah. are closely connected, aren't they? Well, to a certain extent, yeah, yeah. And here's a rather more folky fact. Go on. The county has its own Morris dance. Oh. It's called the Worcestershire Monkey. Excuse me? And it's danced to a tune known as... Martin, you are going to love this. Go on, go the on. tune Worcestershire Monkey is danced to is called 
Weasel's Revenge. <laughs> I love weasels. This is amazing. Weasels and monkeys together. And, and the tune is actually a total banger. We will put the video on our blog. There is a Morris side who uh, perform it and it's well worth a watch. Oh, let's not just put it on the blog. Let's learn it. Let's learn the Worcestershire monkey. Yeah, let's Dance do to it. Weasel's Revenge. Yes, please. <laughs> Deal. You grab the sticks and bells while I tell today's story, <laughs> The Legend of the Swan. And I'll start spinning my yarn right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wide are the wings of a swan, wide and white, as it swoops low over the water and trails rippling droplets behind it. Wide, too, is my tail, as wide and full as a loving heart. And if you sit a while, I'll tell it to you the way I remember it. I saw a swan that morning, bright as a star streaking across the pale blue morning sky from the little chip of a window in the attic I shared with the other maids. All our days were the same in the summer milking season, steady and predictable as the beat of a heart. So that one stands out in my memory. The buttery in the kitchen were already hot and sticky with chatter and gossip and the smell of baking. It was a lively, happy home Wolverley Court, although the lady of the house, Mistress Walter, was a silent and lonely woman. She'd never married or had children to fill the court with laughter. Nobody knew why. As I went through the still room and out into the yard to collect my milking pails, I was joined by Solomon the old dog. He was a huge wolfhound, long-legged and shaggy, but it was difficult to imagine his days as a hunting dog. Sleepy and sweet-natured, he'd been part of the Wolverley family for as long as anybody could remember. He followed after me, wagging his ragged tail and put his nose into my hand as I walked. The fluffy dawn clouds were clearing away to leave behind a sky as blue as the virgin's gown and the birds were clamouring for joy. Solomon and I went through the orchard, where clusters of sweet-smelling pear blossom were cascading down the branches. It was too early for our sweet, dark pears yet, but I could see the bumps on the branches where they would grow. There's nothing like that taste, sweet and sharp. There's a sharpness to the sight of those pear trees too, for we all remembered the men mustering under their spreading leaves when the king called for all able and willing to join his cause. A strange thing happened as I reached the edge of the orchard where it gave way to the Wolverley Meadows. 
The herd of placid, short-horned cows had never disturbed old Solomon before, but that day when he saw them, he took off running as fast as his rickety legs would carry him. I was surprised, because I had never seen him stir his stumps so fast. He liked to follow people and sit quietly by the hearth with his nose on his paws, but here he was running and barking like a young puppy. Well, I followed after him, thinking he'd seen something he wanted to chase at last, which would make a story for the others later. We all loved the dog, but accepted that his hunting days, if they'd ever existed, were over. Solomon stopped suddenly and started sniffing and licking at something in the long grass. I made my way over towards him, thinking that perhaps one of the cows had been injured. We still had wolves in these parts, and it was not unheard of for them to come out of the forest with their bright gold eyes and hungry bellies. Then I screamed, loud as the day of my birth, for a shape rose up in front of me like a ghost. It was a man, but he was all bedraggled, in clothes that were little more than scraps of rag and with a beard down to his waist. There were chains around his wrists and ankles of heavy, rusted iron. Solomon, get away! I yelled, but the foolish dog was waiting patiently by the ragged man's side, wagging his tail as if he'd found a long-lost friend. That's what Solomon was like. If he saw a fox eating our chickens, he'd nuzzle it and try to get it to play with him. Well, I wasn't about to wait around for the dog to develop a sense of danger. I ran back to the court as fast as my legs would carry me, because I knew for certain there should not be ghastly chained men in the cattle field on an ordinary milking day. I made a huge clatter rushing back into the yard, which turned out to be an embarrassment to me, for Mistress Walter was there, sitting aback her horse and about to set out to ride. "'Whatever is the matter?' said she. So between taking breathless gulps of air, for I hadn't run so fast since I was a very little girl, I told her about the man in the meadow and the dog's reckless behaviour. A couple of the men started for the meadow and I expected that to be the end of it. But to my great surprise, Mistress Walter went as white as the milk in the churn and set her horse off at a canter off in the direction of the meadow herself. I've missed something here, I said to one of the grooms. What in the name of all that's holy is going on? I've no idea, said he, with a broad grin. But don't you want to find out? Well, I did want to find out, of course, because not a lot happened most days, and this was more excitement than we'd known for months. So we all followed Mistress Walter's horse down to the meadows as fast as we could, and our mouths were soon agape at the scene which greeted us. Mistress Walter and the ragged man were in each other's arms, kissing like young lovers, despite his forlorn appearance and her unmarried state. They embraced as if they didn't care who saw them, and that was just as well, for we were all standing staring. Solomon the old dog was sitting on the ground beside them, his efforts exhausted for the day, but his tail was beating feebly to show his pleasure. We watched as Mistress Walter reached into the neck of her dress for a little velvet bag which she wore. She opened it and tipped out a little fragment of gold, like half a moon. As she showed the strange man, he reached into his pocket and pulled out another crescent of gold, just the same. The two halves fit together perfectly, 
just as if they'd been made to do so, for that's what they were. Two pieces of the same gold lover's ring. We none of us knew what to think, but we could only guess that the stranger was someone that Our Lady had known long, long ago. Mistress Walter sent for the smith and he came with his tools. While he was about his work striking off the rusty old chains on the stranger's wrists and ankles, we heard the history of his life. It seemed that he had once been betrothed to Mistress Walter, but holy zeal had taken hold of his spirit and he'd gone off on crusade as a soldier of the cross. It was only meant to have been for a little while, and the knight had every intention of returning to marry Mistress Walter while they were both still young. They'd broken their lover's ring in two, and each of them had vowed to keep a half until they should be reunited. Even the inscription carved inside the ring was a sign of their promise to each other. United hearts, death only parts. And would you believe, Solomon the old dog, as faithful if not as wise as his namesake in the Holy Bible, he had belonged to the brave crusader all those years before. He'd been left with Mistress Walter for her to care for while he was away, and she'd cared for him and never married either. But then, the crusader's fortunes had changed. After a fierce and bloody battle, as close to hell as a living man should ever have to go, He'd been taken prisoner by the enemy. Rather than kill him, they'd locked him in a dungeon for many years, where he'd never seen the light of the sun and had no way to get a message to his beloved. But his faith had stayed strong, where many men might have become desperate and wanted to give up on everything. He never stopped praying, and one night, an angel appeared before him in shining robes and cast him into a dream. He half awoke to find himself being carried through the air, many miles above the clouds, on the broad, feathery back of a huge swan, which flew all across the world to drop him in our meadow. The next thing he'd known was the rough tongue and excited barking of his constant old dog. We all agreed that it had been a miracle of love. No less miraculous was the day of the wedding. All of us who lived and worked at the court were there after days of preparation. There was a little private chapel attached to the court where we worshipped on Sundays and that was where the ceremony was held. We were all invited to see it, but Mistress Walter and her knight had no wealthy friends or relatives. She looked beautiful as she came into the chapel to marry her crusader with a wreath of pear blossom and hazel leaves on her head. She met him where he was waiting at the altar bathed in sunlight streaming through the open church door, with the old dog sitting behind him beating his tail on the floor. The smith had melted down their old promise ring and forged it fresh into two new rings. Each bore the same inscription, but when they exchanged them to make them one at last, we all knew that not even death would part them. But at the very moment the rings were placed on their fingers, a swan came soaring low through the open chapel door and flew right up the aisle where it landed just between the newly married couple. And the crusader knight thanked God in his joy for the wonder which had saved him and brought him back to the woman he'd never stopped loving, even in that dark dungeon on the other side of the world. We feasted long and sang and danced 
and it was a marvel to see the gentle white swan lying down in the orchard next to the old dog Solomon, looking for all the world as though they were exchanging words. It stayed for some time until night began to fall, and it flapped its great wings and flew away into the darkening sky. We never saw it again, but Mistress Walter and her knights stayed true to each other until the end of their days, and we always called the meadow the Knight's Meadow after that, for where I'd found him. I was popular, of course, as a teller of the tale, and I was often called upon to recount how I'd discovered the ragged knight. In time, I was dancing at my own wedding. No swan flew in to grace that day, but I've always smiled whenever I've seen one since then, whether floating on the water or flying overhead. And so my tale's told, and if there's another piece of cheese or a slice of black pear, you can fill my bowl next. So, Martin, did you like the legend of the swan? Well, of course I did. It was a very happy story. <laughs> it was rather happier than some of our offerings, wasn't <laughs> yeah, bit, it? a bit of a contrast. Sometimes it's nice to have a simple romance. Yes, it is. Although not that simple. I mean, if you're acquiring giant swans to kind of fly you between continents, it's quite a complicated business, actually. Well, yes. <laughs> swan or angel. <laughs> yes, indeed. So... Where is the origin of this story? Like, where did it come from? It's apparently something that really happened at Wolverley Court, which is a real place. Wow. And uh, the effigy, the tomb effigy of that very night, uh, there's still the remnants of it in the local church. Although I think it was a bit smashed up by parliamentarians. <sighs> Classic. <laughs> Ollie the crumbs. Ollie the crumbs. No respect for place nor person. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. And I loved your inclusion of the rings. Do you want to explain a little touch about about these rings? that you were mentioning with their inscription? Uh, well, it's um, based on posy rings, which were traditional love rings given as gifts. And they often had these lovely little rhyming inscriptions on them, sometimes in Latin, sometimes in Norman French, and more often in English. Loads of them have been found. They were particularly popular a bit later on, sort of in the 16th and 17th centuries. And some of the inscriptions are actually quite funny. Um, things like, take thou this, Give me a kiss. Oh, nice. <laughs> so there's sort of a little suggestion. <laughs> well, that inscription, United Hearts, Death Only Parts, I have on my ring what you gave me. Yes, it's a little uh, touch for our own romance. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Eleanor. That was such a lovely story. Let's just be glad that you haven't had to go off on crusade for many years, um, abandon me for decades and get dropped off back at home by a helpful swan. Well, I think the chances are quite low, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the swan is, is such an enduring symbol of romance, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I always think of the, the pictures of the two necks formed into the shape of a heart when they're yeah. swimming together. And I think it was it features quite a lot in medieval literature and romance. It's been a motif that's endured and kept coming back through time. I mean, as a person who taught English uh, to senior school pupils, to teenagers for many, many years, there's a poem called uh, Winter Swans by Owen Shears, which is on the curriculum, mm. which is also a very beautiful poem, in case you don't know That's, it. Is that a modern poem? Yeah, it's a modern poem. It's sort of written after 2000, but it, but it plays on those ancient ideas of swans. Um, yeah, I mean, I always think, obviously, Shakespeare is referred to as the Swan of Avon, yes. um, the, the, the beautiful bard who sails down the River Avon. Yeah. And I mentioned Orlando Gibbons' Silver Swan earlier, which is a lovely, magical 
Festival about the swans' last song. When in reality, swans are actually quite violent and dangerous creatures if you go near well, them. Yes, <laughs> yes, they can break a man's arm. I suppose that's a comment on the nature of what you'll do to protect your love if you think uh, there's a threat. Yeah. Flap your big wings. Well, interestingly, July is famous for a tradition called the swan clipping, which is where uh, the royal family goes and does a big survey of all the swans that are up and down the Thames. And they discovered this year that there has been a 40% decline in the swan population, which is really That's sad. really sad. Yeah, do awful. we not have enough mating pairs? I, I don't think we do. Oh. And I think the climate's changing. So yeah. Swans actually belong to the crown, don't they? They do. That's right. I believe they're classed as fish royal. They are. Because yeah. although they are, in fact, birds, yep. they, because they're waterborne, they're, they're classed as fish. Yes. And one presumes that at some point people were eating them. Oh, absolutely. They to were eating such them. a degree that, yeah, they had to protect them. I think they were a great favourite of abbots who sort of owned land oh. and local people had to pay tithes, which could include giving a, a swan to eat. I mean, roast swan was a, a classic, wasn't it? Oh, I and don't know. in the age of thing stuff with things. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were talking about not not that long ago the idea of eating unicorns i feel like eating swans is similar in my mind yes it's something seem right. about this sort of pure ethereal creature yeah. which we shouldn't eat <laughs> the swans were very much eaten they were and a lovely centerpiece for your medieval banquet a, a swan <laughs> stuffed with a partridge stuffed with a <laughs> bird stuffed with goodness only knows what right so correspondence then uh we should first say card contest it's yes. open very excitingly we've had our first beautiful entry for our new card contest themed around the folklore of winter yes we have thank you to Phil for your amazing artwork we love that oh, so please keep those entries coming send them to threeravenspodcast at gmail.com as a JPEG or similar and we will be delighted to have a look through those we definitely will also the cards from last contest are finally on sale they're actually on the shop now <laughs> yes so please do go and check them out and support the artists they come separately or as a lovely set of all three designs and they're on our shop at threeravenspodcast.com thank you also to our likers commenters and super sharers this week including tiny ddk dark arts law and the wolf and the wild things on instagram who said i'm binging all your episodes your storytelling is just beautiful i'm a jewelry designer and maker you whisk me away on adventures while i'm at my bench which i thought was really nice Uh, on twitter thank you to malcolm butterworth carl harnyard Fauto Angliae and Of Dark and Macabre. And on Facebook, we um, are saying thank you to Lawrence and Carol and Vivian, who left us this lovely comment. I love your mix of history, fantasy and folklore. And best of all, how you seem to entertain each other in the process. Yeah, oh, we do. Thanks, Vivian. <laughs> I appreciate the fact you give each other room. You guys have a beautiful balance and I look forward to each episode. Oh, that's so nice. Yes. Thank you so much to everybody who's been so supportive. Thank you for sharing the podcast. And again, thank you to everybody who joined on the thread of conversations about our big 30K post. There's so many lovely and beautiful comments from people who've been following us since the very, very beginning. Thank you all so much. It really does mean the world. Yes, we felt quite emotional reading all of those, didn't we? It was so very kind. Now, Martin... 
Can you tell us a bit about the podcast awards? Oh, yes. Okay. So as you can probably see in the show notes, there's a link to vote for us in the British podcast awards. This is the listener's choice category. I don't think we're in with an enormous chance. But <laughs> as a new podcast, we would be very lucky. We certainly would. And there are some big names that I've seen asking their listeners to vote for them. But if you can... <laughs> please take some time to vote for us. It doesn't take five minutes to do, to be honest with you. We'd really, really appreciate it. And likewise, actually, if you could review us on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, that would make a huge difference. We haven't had any reviews since we started this series. So it'd be really good if some people could hop on yes. and, uh, and offer us some reviews. Bump the viewing listings. I know it's something that every podcast asks people to do, but it really does genuinely help raise the profile of the podcast within those podcast apps and helps other people to find the podcast who wouldn't normally so yeah please do thank you so martin which hedgerows and haunted cottages will we be exploring next time well, we are off to cambridgeshire for the story of Harrowwood the wake fantastic off to a seat of learning yeah perhaps they'll give us an honorary doctorate there's also some violence as well i'm just warning you in advance learning and violence yeah. what a fantastic mix <laughs> and so while our story's gone that way we'll go this way and remember don't whistle until you're out of the woods. Thanks and credit go to the amazingly informative Worcester People and Places website, The Folklore of Hereford and Worcester by Roy Palmer and Worcestershire Folk Tales by David Phelps. Our theme song is the traditional folk ballad Three Ravens performed by Eleanor Conlon and Ben Harbour and our logo was designed by Ollie James Dare. The Three Ravens podcast is a Rust and Stardust production produced by me, Martin Vaux. Thanks for listening. God sent every gentleman Such hounds, such hawks and such leemen With a down, derry, 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 down, down Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.